Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be sent to DeSantisProd at gmail.com. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. I f***ing love them. I can't get enough of them. I guess they like us, Sam. That's a good thing. They like you, man. I mean, I if you know. read deep enough know. into the comments, you know exactly how they feel about me. But that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Because I'll tell you, the Patriots win the Super Bowl in two weeks, I'm going to be a complete f***ing dick. So if you don't like me now... Oh, just wait. The Patriots are Super Bowl champs once again. Patriots fans, this is your sixth championship in the last 18 years. Truly an unprecedented accomplishment, really managed by exceptional players and coaches to whom all of us forever grateful. But there is one constant throughout this whole 18 years. Two men who are the best at whatever has been done. John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, with that lovely backdrop, TJ DeSantis putting in the overtime on a championship Monday. Here we are. If you do have young children who listen to the Anik and Florian podcast, we do appreciate that. I just want to preface the show by saying this might not be the episode for them. It is Monday, February 4, 2019, episode 189 of the Anakin Florian podcast. Less than 24 hours ago, the New England Patriots won their sixth Super Bowl championship. Ken Flo 13-3 over the Los Angeles Rams. And this time, God damn it, I was in the building, kid. Dude, uh, unbelievable. I-, I was thinking about you probably throughout the whole game, thinking oh. that, man, this guy is going to be here for a Serp Super Bowl win. Just insane. And... and- you're John Anik, uh, over under three times that TJ DeSantis had to throw up while putting together that intro. I, I'm telling you, and I, TJ, I might as well bring you into this as the non-Bostonian in our company. I mean, did you watch the entirety of the game? Did you see bits and pieces? Where does your hatred of the New England Patriots fall on the spectrum? I'm so jaded on the NFL because the Minnesota Vikings are terrible and just career chokers. But uh, right. I, I caught bits and pieces of the game, and, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate greatness. 
And I would be lying if I said that Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, the whole crew in New England, if they weren't great. They're great. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I appreciate it. I'm jealous as hell, but I appreciate it. I did get a little fist bump from your ex-Minnesota Viking number 93 in your program, John Randall, on my way into the Super Bowl, by the way, TJ, and I thought of you. So I drove home through the night. If I sound like garbage, that's why. So, And I, I want to say the podcast listeners wishing me a safe drive home, knowing that I had nine hours and 600 miles after waking up at 4 a.m. to fly to Atlanta that day. So I was up about 29, 30 hours all told. Uh, but thank you to all the listeners who wished me a, a good drive home. I, I had you in my mind when I was hurting for certain at six o'clock in the morning, about 420 miles in. Um, so we're not going to spend much time on the Super Bowl, obviously today, but because I was there last night and it was probably the greatest night of my life with all due respect to my wife, I just want to spend a couple minutes on it. And really, I think in the context, not just of what the Patriots have done historically, but in terms of the way they are nationally perceived here in the United States, I mean, the amount of hatred for this team and this organization has superseded, I think, anything that I ever felt the New York Yankees were in terms of being America's most hated team. So for a lot of us, even though we feel sort of spoiled and grateful for what these Boston teams have done, literally 12 championships in the four major sports in 18 years. Um, but it's made even sweeter, Kenny, by all these naysayers, right, and all these media types, some of whom have a high profile and who are credentialed and others who maybe aren't, but just banging all over these guys for two weeks and not giving them the credit that they deserve. And uh, I know people don't want to hear this from Patriots fans, but when they complete the mission here and sort of put a capstone on this two-decade dynasty, um, I'm having a great Monday. I don't know about all those people. I'm having a great fucking Monday. <laughs> Absolutely. I know you haven't slept much, kid, so uh, I can see that. And, and I can feel it. I mean, man, listen, to, to win a world championship in any sport – is a tremendous accomplishment to do it in the NFL. Now, I don't know a whole lot about the NFL, but it's not an easy thing to do. When you look at all the amazing players, all the money that's being thrown around, all the excellent coaches, um, not everybody can do it. Not everybody can go to the playoffs. And when you see the Patriots and, and how consistent they've been in not only winning the AFC championship, but by winning the Super Bowl as many times as they have, that's when you got to look at them and say, you know what? I may not like them. I, I, you know, I, I may actually hate them, but you have to respect them. They're just doing something special. And, and that's what you should be looking for is what the hell is Belichick uh, doing over there in New England? You know, what? How, how many hours is he spending looking at tape? How many hours is he, you know, thinking about different types of offenses and defenses for yeah. all the various teams that he goes against? And the problem is, is that, when you get that kind of brain and, and those sets of players and all the experience that they bring, he's just seen it all. So it's almost like he's only going to get better. I mean, good luck beating that guy just once during the season. And if you do, good luck good luck doing it for a second time. Right. The guy is absolutely – he's a genius of football, period. He really is, man. 66 years old, oldest coach to hoist the Lombardi. So six – championships as a head coach for Belichick and then two as a coordinator with the New York Giants. I think it might just be time for me to get his signature tattooed somewhere on my body. Dude. We've had this conversation before. The problem is he's such a matter-of-fact guy that he doesn't, and I know in this day and age nobody has as nice a signature as Kenneth Allen Florian, by the way, <laughs> but few people, like you still sign your name, right? I scribble, right? Like a lot of people don't do it. Bill literally writes his name. Like it's literally block. Like the dude has no <laughs> idea. So I, in the past, I have looked to try to find a decent rendition of him writing his name to forever put it on my body. And as yet, I haven't been able to find a good one. But I got to say, I, I know I'm rambling today and I apologize for that. But Atlanta, Georgia, right, in terms of this Super Bowl setting. What a great representation of the United States of America. I mean, Southern hospitality doesn't even begin to describe it. To a woman, to a man, 95% of the locals in Atlanta are pleasant, they're friendly, they're accommodating, they work hard, they smile when they're cleaning bathrooms, right? They keep the lines moving, they are attentive. Uh, it just, you know, I, I hadn't been to Atlanta for four years, and every time I go back there, I'm just blown away at the way I feel as an American. And I think maybe it's because when I go to New York and L.A., like the TSA agents, they, they hate me. 
in those places, you know? <laughs> well, dude, I, I got to say, I, I'm married to a Southern girl, so I, I, I do see it. And when you I go to it. South Carolina, everyone really is smiling. It is a different deal. Uh, so that that is nice to hear, man. When you sent me that picture, Anik sent me a picture of him when he was sitting in his seat. I got the chills, man. It was just a beautiful oh. setting. The arena, everything, man. I was like, I felt like I was there. It was cool. It was amazing. Yeah, I was texting Kedflow nonstop, trying to have as many of my fellow Bostonians live vicariously through me. But when you when you spend that type of money on a ticket, right? And and obviously when you're a married man, right? It's not like you're just swiping a credit card and getting the best seat in the house, right? I mean, Correct. a lot of us have to cross that by somebody else's nose. And so when you spend that type of money and you know you're driving 600 miles after the game, a lot of the experience for me was tied to the outcome. So the fact that they were able to win the game, uh, I had all the adrenaline I needed to hit the pedal for 600 miles or whatever it was. So an amazing night. Uh, and again, just to, to tie the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, formerly known as the city of champions, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to tie the Steelers with six Super Bowl titles all in 17 years for the Pats uh, is absolutely incredible. So last thing I'll say. In terms of the hate that's out there, I know a lot of it's going to continue. I think that everybody out there is entitled to their opinions. The facts are what they are. Six titles, New England 13, Los Angeles 3. And I think, Kenny, I could have been a lot meaner. I know you class up this show every week. I could have been a lot meaner than I was today. So I think my family would be happy that I didn't fall off the fucking deep end. You know? I, I agree, man. I, I agree. I was ready for Anik to just be boasting left and right about not only the Patriots world championships but the red i mean the red sox got it done this year as well also <laughs> against la so i guess so i guess all all we need is what the, the boston celtics to beat the lakers in, in the championship and then we're good like let's go i don't need to watch insane. sports ever again we're good like uh, less than 100 days ago the fucking red sox it's like can we hang our banner before you guys put another one up in foxborough massachusetts you know exciting times man my 67 year old mother was in the building on saturday night it's a beautiful thing sunday night i guess it was super bowl sunday all right a lot to get to today obviously we'll get to magic marlin but ice ray longo coming up here in about five minutes and then of course ufc 234 beckons this weekend ufc 234 whitaker versus gastelum sold out rod laver arena melbourne australia middleweight title fight five main card picks coming up from ken flo um but of course if the super bowl was not last night we would have led with magic marlin but ice might be the scariest guy in the Bantamweight division right now with respect to the Linekers and Dillashaws of the world. Four consecutive wins, the last three by first-round finish in a combined 457, all against high-level competition. Aljamain Sterling, Jimmy Rivera, now he avenges the loss to Rafael Sunsau with as many style points as you could possibly want to have. Magic Marlon Marais kid, next level. You know, we all wondered before he came into the UFC, is this guy going to be the real deal? Uh, is this right. guy really as good as he looks uh, over in the other promotion as champ? And, yeah, he is, man. I, I mean, uh, he, he stumbled a little bit against that first fight against the Sun Sal. I thought he, he probably still won that fight. It was certainly close. Could have gone either way. Can't really complain about that one. But how about this? The adjustments that he made. Um, the composure and, and balancing that with the aggression at, at when he should have th thrown that right hand. It was, it was a thing of beauty, man. Uh, and as Sun Tzu, it, he just does not get finished like that. And the fact right. that what ice was able to put on this kind of performance uh, in the main event was exactly what he needed to get that next title shot uh, against TJ Dillashaw. The guy absolutely deserves it. I think he's one of the few guys that really can get it done and, get it done by finish over Dillashaw. I think he's that good. Uh, and, man, uh, those guys, uh, Mark Henry, Ricardo Almeida, they have a special fighter over there in Jersey. It's always interesting when we have fighters in the same division competing close to one another, right? Because Dillashaw just fought Henry Cejudo, right? And so prior to this Marisa Sunsau rematch, we spent a lot of time talking about the, the legs for a, a Dillashaw-Cejudo rematch at 135 pounds. But... Sure enough, a couple weeks later, look what Marlon Marais does, right? And now Henry Cejudo's sitting home being like, man, you know, I know what I just did. I know how deserving I am, but that's kind of the one thing I couldn't have, right, was a Marlon Marais first-round finish. You know, we talked last week about Cerrone and Poirier, and we're going to get to Jose Aldo soon, right? No one was talking about Aldo McGregor, too, until Jose went out and finished Hanato Moicano the way he did. So things happen in this sport. It's amazing how... The, the landscape changes just weekend to weekend, you know? Without a doubt, man. And look at the performances that he's had. This isn't just uh, one performance. These are consistent 
beautiful knockout that he's having back to back to back. And um, again, for Moraes, man, it is going to be tough to stop that guy from being a champion of the UFC. Yeah, one of the most dangerous fighters in the UFC right now. And uh, I do believe he is as deserving as anyone for that shot against TJ Dillashaw. I think it's going to come down to Cejudo and Marlon Marais. The other story, of course, is Rafael Assuncao, the well-traveled traveled Brazilian. 27-6 and six now, Kenny. You're right. Eternally durable. 36 years old. This amounts to a significant setback for him. I give him a lot of credit for granting Assuncao this rematch. There are a lot of fighters this close to contention that... I'm not saying they fake an injury to pull out of a fight necessarily, but they don't grant this rematch against arguably the most dangerous finisher in the division when they have a head-to-head win over that man and a winning streak. I give a Sal a lot of credit, but it's going to be real hard to make that climb again to 36. Uh, without a doubt. Listen, you, you look at him and his consistency and how good he's been uh, against all the top bantamweights in the world. Um, this, you could argue, was a fight he didn't have to take yeah. if he wanted to kind of sit in the sidelines and wait for a title shot. Uh, he could have been able to do that. Um, he did not. He decided to to go and and fight a, a dangerous man in, in Morais and uh, couldn't get it done. This does not make him um, a bad fighter at all. He's still one of the best to ever do it in that division. Um, and, you know, I, I think with another couple fights and depending on what happens with, you know, the division, he could maybe make it up to the top. But he is, you know, has been fighting for a very long time. He's 36 years old now. That 135-pound division is just nuts. You know, we almost forget about guys like Dominic Cruz and yeah. Cody Garbrandt. I mean, there's talent in that division. Um, so it will be difficult. But if someone can get it done and, and fight for that belt again, it's it's a, a sunset. Yeah, I mean, he's managed his body and his career very efficiently, very well. It's something that he talks about a lot. But, you know, there's always two two sides, right? The thrill and the agony. And, and you know, a part of me was feeling for Rafael Asuncao to see it all sort of spiral away from him uh, this Saturday night. All right, more on Marais coming up. Obviously, we'll have a lot on the king of Rio, Jose Aldo. Uh, but the king of Long Island is on hold. Let's get to the Ray Longo Minute. Now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. So we, we had to push Ray Longo back 15 minutes. Actually, five hours all told. Because I was driving back from <laughs> Super Bowl 53. We appreciate your patience, man. What's going on in New York today? Oh, man. Beautiful day in New York. It's like 60 degrees, man. It's crazy. What a what a great day we had here. I guess it's a beautiful day in New York if you're Ray Longo and you have boycotted the NFL. But I would think for a lot of people in New York, this is one of those days where you got the head fucking down and you're looking at your feet because there's a fucking championship parade in Boston, Massachusetts tomorrow morning. <laughs> That's it. Congratulations, guys. I've, I've heard. Because anybody that was teaching today, was all they were talking about is how shitty they ate yesterday watching the Super Bowl. But, uh, <laughs> Good for you guys, man. Uh, that's uh, that's phenomenal. I just am, am losing followers and supporters by the minute. I just I can't contain myself. You know, I think it's I bottled crazy. up. I bottled it's up crazy. a lot of my venom, and it's just it's it's unleashed. <laughs> so uh, we were talking about Marlon Marais before you came on. I, I would imagine you were able to uh, ingest the main event on ESPN Plus this weekend, pal. Yeah, it's an unbelievable performance. Unbelievable. Uh, but I think Marlon's a guy that's actually gotten better in the UFC with the better competition. And uh, he is the, he's, he's the guy to watch now, man. I mean, nobody has ever done anything close to that to uh, a Sun Sao, I don't think. I mean, he got him out of there uh, pretty quickly. And uh, that kid looks like he's unstoppable. Ray, I agree, man. Listen, there was a lot of hype on Marlon Marais when he came in uh, to the UFC. He has really uh, proved that he is worthy of that hype. But do you think he's the guy to go out there and, and beat TJ Dillashaw? I think he beats TJ. First off, I'm wow. starting to think now that TJ's chin is a little suspect. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is a guy that hits hard, can get you out, obviously, now a couple of different ways. Uh and again, if, if you would if we would have had this discussion, like you said, when he came in with the hype, I would have said absolutely not. But he seems to really have gotten better. He really, you know, like I, he's fought some really good guys, and he and he and he's really looking good. He's with a great camp, and 
I say he gets that job done, yeah. His record since aligning with Mark Henry is absurd. I know there's the split decision loss to Rafael Sunsau that he just avenged. I don't even know if there's another loss on there. Maybe one I'm forgetting. But, man, has he just delivered as advertised. And, hey, man, Aljo set back to him. Uh, looks better by the minute as he keeps dusting these other guys in the top five. So, Yeah, no, let me tell you, it's, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. He's, uh, I wonder if they're going to make that match or if the Cejudo thing holds up. Uh, but, yeah, no, just, uh, I, I was blown away by that. I didn't, I, I saw it going the distance and, uh, Marais getting the decision this time because I actually thought he won the first time, I think. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, and to go out like that, man, was pretty impressive. I, I, a sunset is just tough to get to, and he made that look pretty easy. Dude, that's the Ken flow go-to. You get, like, the knockout and the submission, right? You knock the guy down, and then you fucking choke him to the point where he has to give up. <laughs> that's Ken flow. See, there's so I'll many different you, examples. Let me tell you something. This this boss, this, this, this Super Bowl really charged him up, Kenny. Oh, <laughs> He's... The guy is out of control. I mean, I feel you know, I have some... As I'm listening to you, I feel bad you had to actually hold this in for an extra five hours. I, uh, I know. <laughs> this is his outlet yeah, right you now. Must have been, you must have been dying for five hours. What were you doing, oh. running around the house? Well, I'll tell you, Ray, I drove nine hours, 600 miles from Atlanta to Boca Raton, Florida, right after the game last night, all on adrenaline and monster energy drinks and coffee and just the most natural high of my life, man. That was a big one, you know, I, for... I got to tell you, Kenny, did you catch that? I drove all nine hours on adrenaline, a little cocaine, some monster energy <laughs> drinks. And what, what, kind of, what kind of natural thing is monster energy that was yeah, that you right. were right on? This yeah. is true. Yeah, a couple of, line, yeah, a couple of lines of coke, some monster energy. I was flying, <laughs> baby. I was, on, I was so happy for the win. Wait, what's going on, over, Kenny? What's going on? Over I there, have really? no idea. What it sounded like all the stuff he took, he could have he could have sprinted home in time to do the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you were really, if you you could have David Coggins this thing, <laughs> you didn't. You hey, chose just, to take the easy. You chose to take the easy way out and drive home. Hey, just just ask Ken Flo. Niacin is really good for you in heavy doses of niacin. Um, huh. Well, I'm glad we're not on video anymore because I could be, you know, I could be snorting cocaine right now to help my podcast yeah, performance and you guys wouldn't yeah, know anything. Yeah, your pupils are dilated right now yeah. and your eyeballs are coming out of your head. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, right. Somehow, yeah. some my wife's like, I still don't understand physically how you drove home. And it's like, well, you're on a need-to-know basis, honey. And remember, Wait, hold on. You, you, did you do that ride by yourself? No, my twin brother was there, but he, he drank too much at the Super Bowl, so he wasn't any help until 6.30 a.m. when the sun oh, came man. out. He did the final 90 oh, wait, minutes. By, Thanks, Jay. Yeah, by the way, great picture you put up on Instagram. Uh, what a great picture. Thanks, man. It's you funny gotta... because my twin brother is very, he's a, you know, he's a modest guy. He's kind of a private guy, and so I never post pictures of him. I mean, Ken Flo's met him, obviously, um, but most people don't know that I have an identical twin, so when they saw that picture, uh, I think people were really put off by it. They felt like my twin brother looked more like me than I look like me. And, um, yeah. yeah, pretty wild for people, but thank you. Yeah, put me, put me in that category. I was totally confused. I wasn't sure if you were joking around or you just, it was like a Photoshop, but, uh, that was a great, great pick. Well, when you meet him, uh, and you hear him and the mannerisms, it, it's even worse for lack of That's a better. Funny. It's, it's pretty annoying. That's I mean, imagine funny. two of us, it's just way too much. So, uh, all right, a couple things before we let you go. And, again, we appreciate the, the primetime appearance tonight on the Anakin Florian podcast. So, Jose Aldo, right? So, even at the Super Bowl this weekend, I'm getting asked by people, you know, who's your favorite fighter, right? It's probably my least favorite question. But a lot of times I go to Jose Aldo, right? And I think he right. showed you why this weekend. I'm not going to say that he's all the way back and, and the champion Max Holloway in this division is certainly a problem for him. But – this type of run and this type of tenacity and speed, uh, I'm not sure that people thought we would get this out of Aldo at this stage of his career. And, and what a moment for the King of Rio over the weekend, Ray. Oh, well, let me tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm on that bandwagon. I didn't think he could do it. But you know what, man? This guy deserves a shot at something. He really does. I, I Look, I think Holloway's obviously his kryptonite. Yeah. But, um, I, I got it. You know, it's funny because when they announced the fight, I was like, I'm, I'm probably going with Moicano. And then I, right. 
But as they were highlighting, like they showed him against Jeremy Stevens, who's no slouch, who's a big puncher, and he he got rid of him. And I'm like, you know what? I think Aldo is going to win. You know what I mean? Like just that little, I forgot about that fight. So I right. agree with you, man. It's not easy when a guy loses the way he does to, to Aldo to come back with these type of really really dominant performances is saying something, man. He he deserves. He deserves another shot. I really believe that. And uh, whether it's McGregor or uh, or I just think Holloway's too much for him because Holloway, the volume, and he's got an insane chin and he just throws too yeah. many punches. But um, I think Holloway's just got his number. But I'll tell you what, man, that was a great fight. And Moicano's no joke. Jeremy Stevens is a tough guy. And he's he and he looks different. Like, he's not winning. He's... Right. He's going for it. Even when he was chasing him around, man, that was a oh. guy possessed. Yeah, I no, mean, the killer is back. Do, yeah, it's not easy to do after you lose. We've all seen it with uh, champions who can't even win a fight, you know, after, you know, they lose. So yeah. this is, the guy, I really give it up to the guy, and I agree with you. He deserves, I think he is back. He's back to whatever extent, put it this way, I, I believe he's back to whatever extent he was when he lost, can he, does that mean he could beat Holloway? I don't know, but he, no, I think uh, he deserves a shot. He really does. I think he's proven. It's not like he's got two decision wins and he was, you know, getting clipped and something. Nice guy looks like he's on fire. man. Yeah. I'm really, that was a happy, that's a feel good moment with that guy. Yeah. I think you put it well. And Kenny, I'll give you a chance on the back end, obviously to talk about what is next for Jose Aldo, but best visual in MMA for me, other than maybe, Bigfoot Silva dancing on his way to the octagon is Jose Aldo Flo, jumping the fence and running into the crowd in Brazil. You know, I was there when he did it uh, for the Mendes fight several years ago. The dude's just awesome. And, and I think a lot of us know how good a man that is and are very happy for uh, for Jose Aldo. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. And, it looked, and it looked like he did a Khabib sidekick when he came off the yeah. octagon. Yeah. Only, only nobody's head was on the other end of it. But besides that, it looked great. Right. All right, we'll get you out of here on this. You are plus $100 after a successful <laughs> hit on Marlon Marais. This weekend, UFC 234, Robert Whitaker versus Kelvin Gastelum for the UFC Middleweight Championship. I know you will be watching this one closely. I know these guys have both been on your radar at different times. Right now, Robert Whitaker is about a two-and-a-half-to-one favorite or so, so... If you pick Whitaker and he wins, you get $100. If you think Gastelum wins and you get that right, you get $200. Whitaker or Gastelum for you, and how do they get it done? I say uh, I'm going with Gastelum, and he stops him. Gastelum by TKO. I felt like he'd go in that direction. That's why we upped the ante. So, Gastelum wins. I I think he runs through everybody. And... uh, I think if you don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I, I like Kelder. I always did. I was always high. I mean, I, I really love Winnick. I ain't thinking against anybody, but I'm going to go with Gastelum. Man. I think he gets it done, even though it's in Australia. Yeah, he runs through everybody except your guy, huh? Well, I mean, I think the big wrestling guys are always going to be a problem for him, but these are two guys that came up from 170 to 185, so he's going to be fighting a guy that, you know, isn't, isn't the bigger, you know, like, isn't that much bigger than him. And I think that, I don't know, man, that uh, he's tough. Yeah. If he gets you in trouble, unlike, you know, Romero did with him, I do believe he'll finish it. All right, my man, we'll let you get back to it. Thanks for the, uh, the extended time. And, uh, we will talk to you, I guess it'll be probably next Tuesday when I get back from Australia, but, uh, we look forward to it. And, uh, it's fight fight week for Aljamain Sterling in Phoenix. So a lot to get to next week, my man. Beautiful. Listen, take his annex. Really come down. Hi, I know. Hey, I if I had one, take his annex, please. More of an upper guy. Isn't that a downer? Well, yeah, I want to get you leveled out at this point. <laughs> I know, you're, you're, speeding, I know. You're, you're speeding your balls off at this point. <laughs> you're out of control. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I'm, I'm not going to listen back to this one. <laughs> Take it easy. I'll See talk you, to you next week. Have a good Take week. Care. There he is. Yeah, right, right. Raymond Peter Longo with us every week on the Anakin Florian podcast. Hopefully you didn't hear my email pop up there. I mean, am I all over the joint today, Ken Flo, or what? Uh-huh. 
I mean, kind of, sort of. I didn't, yeah. I didn't hear it. I didn't. Not my best work. This is not for the demo reel, folks. All right. Jose Aldo defeats Hanato Moicano by TKO 44 seconds into round two. We talked a lot about the performance, obviously. So what do you do now, right? Because for me, I felt shortchanged by those 13 seconds between Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo, right? All the buildup, all the preamble for a fight that, as great as it was for Conor, didn't even happen in a lot of respects, right? So we didn't even think this was a possibility, I guess, unless Jose Aldo came out and dusted a guy in Hanato Moicano inside of six minutes, a guy in Moicano who people thought he could be next for Max Holloway. So given the series with Aldo and Holloway, the decisive 2-0 advantage for Max, given the fact that Conor McGregor doesn't have a fight on the books, what is your appetite for a rematch between Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo? Okay, I, I do want to get back to the performance because I have a completely different take. Take uh, it, but, it's all yours. But, but I do. No, let me answer. Let me answer you first because I I want to address your question. It's an important one. Uh, as far as what he did, I, the win itself, awesome. He beat Moicano, who is extremely tough. Now I proposed this last year, and I said I would love to see Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo fight at 155 pounds, and I think that fight is back to getting made. I I really do. I think. I think uh, I couldn't agree with you more that we were kind of robbed, right? Okay, Connor might have beaten Jose Aldo, but 13 seconds, we really didn't get to see that back and forth. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, we would love to see it, um, you know, perhaps even even in Brazil or Ireland. I think that's a fight that does make a lot of sense. I think Jose Aldo is pretty sick of making 145 pounds right. unless it's for a title. Um, I, I, Conor McGregor isn't coming back down to 145 pounds. That's for sure. And I think, I think it makes most sense. You'll get those guys at hundred percent at both of their potentially the best weight classes, uh, yeah. fighting. And, and we get to see, you know, hopefully longer than 13 seconds. I, I think it'd be a fascinating fight. Now, in regards to the performance, um, Moicano is a very, very tough guy. I, I thought that Jose Aldo was going to win it. I thought that Jose Aldo was just going to be a, a little bit too fast, uh, a little bit too well-rounded, too much experience, too good. And he proved my he proved me to be right. Um, however, I did not like the finish. I don't think this is a, a Jose Aldo that is in his prime again. Uh, to me, I didn't see that. Listen, I just think he's that much better than Moicano. I think Moicano's good. I think Jose Aldo yeah. is that much better. But I don't like when a part when when an when a fighter leads with his chin like he did. To me, it kind of had shades of what happened with Aaron Pico in, in his last fight, where right. he got a little too aggressive. And you get a guy like a Max Holloway or a Conor McGregor who could sit back and throw that counter shot. Can I? He, the same thing's going to happen to Jose Aldo. And, and I love I love the spirit. I love that fighting spirit that he showed that killer instinct of, of going forward and wanting to not only beat Moicano, but destroy him and knock his head off. But it's that kind of emotional uh, aspect to Jose Aldo's game that made him susceptible to that Conor McGregor shot right. and to lose against, you know, guys like Max Holloway. Now you're talking about elite, elite, you know, hall of fame type fighters. Jose Aldo is one of them as well, but I don't know. I, Again, I, I think if you go back and you watch Jose Aldo in the WEC, and yes, was he aggressive for sure, but he did it because he saw something. He didn't just rush forward for the sake of rushing forward. And against Moicano, when he got him hurt, I think he could have been a little bit more patient and a little bit better protected. And people yeah. are going to look at this and go, whoa, Kenny's hating on Jose Aldo. No, I'm seeing a weakness there. I'm seeing a vulnerability where yeah. Jose Aldo could be even better. Yeah. And less susceptible to getting knocked out because, again, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. If you're leading with your chin, you might not face that person who takes advantage of it, but someone will eventually. And we have seen it before, and, and I'm afraid that we will see it again if Jose Aldo doesn't quite fix that. Could he have gone and knocked out Moicano uh, in a safer manner? Absolutely. And that's what we're trying right. to do as fighters right. is just look at ways to improve. So to me, the win was awesome. The performance I'm not so excited as everybody else. No, I think you hit on a lot of salient points. And I even remember vaguely 10 or 11 fights ago when you fought Jose Aldo, it was that high, tight guard as he moved forward to kick. But it just seemed like defensively, you're right, he was in 
a different position even when he was getting offensive. So, yeah, I think you make a lot of good points there. So as for what is next for Jose Aldo, I think we can all agree that he has set himself up for a massive next fight here in 2019. He had suggested a fight with Anthony Showtime Pettis at 155 pounds prior to the Moicano fight. So Aldo obviously has the appetite for that fight to happen maybe in Curitiba at UFC 237. I think it is May 11th, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that fight would have some legs. That's obviously a fight that was bandied about in the past as a sort of super fight of sorts between those two guys. Brian Ortega expressing his interest in a fight with Jose Aldo. I think that one at featherweight makes a lot of sense and is a fresh matchup. Um, And then, of course, there's Conor McGregor. I think there are three names there, and I think his next opponent is going to come out of that mix, and it'll probably be in Cody Chib. It'll be a home game for the King of Rio. I agree. And again, I think prior to Conor McGregor, prior to that fight against Conor McGregor, we saw Jose Aldo, who was, I think, very defensively responsible. And since then, I think maybe he feels like he needs to make up for that fight and just be Mr. Aggression and uh, Mr. Excitement. Um, so I'm curious to see how, how he adapts moving forward. You know, will we see the kind of the more conservative Jose Aldo or will we see this same kind of guy who uh, is looking for the knockout? I like this Aldo as far as excitement goes, but as far as technique goes, he's, he's a different guy. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's fair. Nice to see him active, too. I think it was December. He knocked out Jeremy Stevens, makes the quick turn. And that's one thing that has sort of worked against Dustin Poirier in this whole Conor McGregor conversation. Poirier has been the consummate company guy, true workhorse. I loved that he went on the offensive on Twitter and said, my next fight absolutely has to be Tony Ferguson or Conor McGregor. But here is Dustin Poirier. He was unable to make the walk against Nate Diaz last November for due to injury. And so now he hasn't fought in a little bit, even though his last few performances have been unbelievable. But since he's fought, you've had Cowboy Cerrone and Jose Aldo, in the opinions of a lot of people, maybe cut Poirier in terms of the promotional appetite for Conor McGregor's next fight. So yep. I still would like to see Dustin, although Aldo is is certainly intriguing to me after what we saw this weekend, you know, but... Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the fact that this guy had the belt at 145 pounds for so long. You know, if there's one guy who deserves yeah, it after right. everything he's done in this sport, he will go down as a Hall of Famer. Jose Aldo deserves that second big money fight against McGregor. Yeah, I think so too. All right, a couple other guys I wanted to highlight. I mean, what a show on ESPN Plus, by the way, just in terms of the main card in particular. All but one fight, a finish. Damian Maya moves into the 20-win club in the UFC. We all remember Damian Maya when he started 5-0 and with five submissions in the UFC. And here he is getting his 20th UFC win at 41 years old. This guy is our age. And when you look at the recent three-fight losing streak, that was against... The big three, right? Tyron Woodley, Colby Covington, Kamara Usman. You give him Lyman good, and it basically goes the way much of Maya's career has gone next. Thank you for playing. Absolutely. Listen, 41-year-old dad bod goes out there and shows exactly why Brazilian jiu-jitsu is so damn effective. I mean, is this guy not the epitome of what martial arts and the Brazilian Brazilian jiu-jitsu is all about? You you look at both guys and you you start laughing. Oh, my God. I hope Lyman Good doesn't kill this this poor guy (laughs) named Damian Maia. I hope hope his head stays on his shoulders. And then you see him. He goes in. He clinches. He takes him down easy. He gets to his back. And it's just Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu 101, and he leaves you scratching your head. It's it's amazing to see Damian Maya go out there and have these kind kinds of performances against some very dangerous individuals. If Damian Maya takes you down, or if he gets around your back, it's over. It is over. And the fact that he's still doing this, you know, into his 40s, it's amazing. Um, you know, he will be a very dangerous man, probably well into his 60s. Oh because yeah. He's so efficient with what he does, my man. So when Lyman Good gets that bout agreement, is he just like, fuck? Or is (laughs) he like, I'm going to knock this guy out because he's a human being and I'm something else? Like, what is his inner monologue when Damian Mai is the name on the contract? Listen, I will say this. I think anybody who doesn't come from a high-level wrestling background is saying, Fuck. Yeah, man. Like, I, I don't want to fight that guy, Damian Maya. If you're a striker, if you're a guy who's like kind of good at everything, but don't like you don't have a specialty in high level grappling, good luck, dude. Yeah. Good luck. Because Damian Maya, you know exactly what he's gonna do. You know exactly 
for you better get ready to have a you know a 190 pound backpack on and and, oh. and have a bow constrictor on your neck because yeah. this is what he does and you know what he's going to do and you can't stop it no i mean if i trained enough jujitsu i would have nightmares about people like daniel oh. maya even at pohumpa school att west palm beach there was one guy Right. Who was like Damian Myers, just like, I don't want to roll with this guy. <laughs> They're like, bro, you don't even roll. What you do, John, is not even rolling. We don't even call that rolling. <laughs> um, so in terms of Damian Maya and Charles Oliveira and your appreciation for the submission game, right? On this night, we were witness to two of the most accomplished submission artists in UFC history. And I'm not saying either man is a Hall of Famer, okay? Maya obviously has twice challenged for UFC gold. Charles Oliveira has not. But... You know, for me, when I think historically about the UFC and I think about this era, you know, these are the guys. And, you know, if there's not a place in the Hall of Fame for a guy like Damian Maya, who has done what he has done and and his his MMA application of jujitsu in the modern era. Like, I, I don't know. I think he should get some strong consideration given the body of work and given that he's still a specialist and getting it done in 2019. Couldn't agree with you more, man. Couldn't agree with you more. I, I think Damian Maya is a Hall of Famer, to be honest. Um, uh, I'm, I'm amazed by what he's been able to accomplish in this sport. I've been a fan of him just when he was competing in Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, in its submission grappling. Um, uh, one of the true heroes out there for, for a lot of us in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, especially the way that he handles himself. He has always um, shown class, respect, and high-level martial arts skill. And I, I really think he's what martial arts is all about. Couldn't be happier for him. And, and as far as Charles Oliveira, um, you know, Ooh. having the record now, most submission wins, it, it's very impressive. And, you know, he's always kind of on the brink of disaster with what he does with his yeah. fight game sometimes. Yeah. Like, he's either going to get knocked the hell out or he's going to rip off a limb. Uh, and in this case, he was able to rip off a limb, showed some toughness to come back there. And uh, Charles Oliveira, man, continues to impress. Now, he's not fighting, you know, the elite top five guys, but still, uh, right. no one has been able to submit as many guys as Oliveira. That is a, a very impressive accomplishment, man. And I think David Tamer came in undefeated in the UFC, yes. so another feather in the cap of Charles Oliveira. And I didn't see his post-fight interview, but I know he still talks about featherweight, but he, given what he's done at lightweight, I'd like to see how far he can take this thing at 155 pounds. You know, I just agree. He's confident, looks fed looks good yep. johnny walker black or we call him johnny walker blue what's the nicest johnny walker blue. johnny walker gold or blue i believe right. maybe it's gold i don't know that's johnny walker blue eight consecutive wins this one by tko the spinning back fist and the punches to close it out against justin ledette 15 seconds in the good news is another performance bonus another huge result for johnny walker not a whole lot of film to digest, which is also a good thing for him in terms of his opponents not having a lot to break down. A uh, lot of room to make a run and expeditiously at light heavyweight. Your thoughts on Johnny Walker Blue Kid? It's simple. The way to beat Johnny Walker is just don't get hit by the guy. I mean, yeah. uh, this guy, he throws with such ferocity and he's a little wild, right? I mean, he's not the most yeah. technical guy in the world. But my goodness, when he throws, he is trying to really hurt you. And um, Ledette just never sh saw that back fist coming. Um, and, and he almost threw that legal kick. I was so glad that he didn't land uh, on the upper part of his of Ledette's body because I think Ledette's head would have been, you know, looked like a soccer ball, maybe in the yeah. third row of the, of the stands yeah. there. But, man, Johnny Walker, uh, I was really impressed. Um, this is a guy who I think – fans can get behind and and a lot of people are excited about johnny walker now oh yeah he's finished he's finished two strikers uh very quickly in impressive fashion um you know i i like him he, he he's exciting to watch he definitely brings an energy into the octagon um that is unusual and i hope oh, that yeah. the ufc still yeah. you know i i still think you know he's a developing fighter and i hope the ufc sees that and continues to develop this guy what does that mean give him give him good fights don't don't start giving him to the you know the top 20 even or the top 10 guys uh yes he's looking impressive but uh keep giving him some guys that are in and around his experience level uh so he can develop him because i, I think he he might be able to be something i, I really do so don't give him Corey anderson is what you're right saying. I think yeah. they should. Yeah, they should. Right. They should slow the roll. Keep him developing. Yeah. He's still young as a fighter. Still young in his career. Um, 
yeah, develop him, get get him better. You know, don't don't pull him up the ranks that quickly, which you know, yeah. which is going to kill his career. I think that they will match him up strategically. I do think he'll land on pay per view at UFC 237 when we return to Brazil in May. But big picture in terms of the UFC in Brazil, in terms of Brazilian stars. This was a big night, right? A big show in Fortaleza. There's a lot going on politically in that country. I know some people felt unsafe going there. The event went off without a hitch. So many huge performances to talk about. It was a big night for the UFC in Brazil, and uh, we'll be back in May. All right, good stuff there on Marais Asuncao 2. We are on pay-per-view this weekend. It is UFC 234, Whitaker v. Gastelum. To that end, let us get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, so for the first time here in 2019, we update the main event challenge standings. Team Florian went head-to-head last week with Kyle Michaels, who repped Team Anik in week one. Team Florian, do you know how good you did? Or do you know how well... You did last week. Uh, oh, oh, you mean like like undefeated and stuff? <laughs> so not only about? did you sweep the MMA board, but you also had the Patriots minus two and a half. So Woo! you won the week six five because both of you nearly swept the board, but you get another point for the Patriots selection. They cover as two and a half point favorites. New England thirteen, Los Angeles three. So Team Florian wins the week seven to five. Nice early lead. I mean, you played the role of chaser for much of 2018, really since February. Nice 7-5 lead out of the gates for Team Florian and with us to make picks today. Podcast listener, Feliz Granados. Feliz, my man, how are you today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Probably not as good as you guys, but must be nice <laughs> to be from Boston. Where are you from, man? Where are you from? All right, so I live in Sacramento, but I'm uh, Orange County, Southern California, born and raised. I'm, my heart's always there. So are you a Rams fan? Well, I'm actually a Chargers fan, so that one okay. didn't hurt as bad. But uh, I remember going to Rams games when they were in Anaheim back in the day. Okay, yeah. Well, we we got a good friend, Michael LaPlante, who's a diehard Chargers fan, one of our UFC producers. And I know he didn't like that 35-7 to halftime score a few weeks ago. I think the Chargers get one here. Hopefully at least get Phillip Rivers to a Super Bowl at some point. But we got some UFC 234 picks to make today, and we're happy to have you. Let us get to it. UFC 234, five main card picks. We start with Jimmy Crute. I can't wait to say that name on broadcast. Jimmy Crute, 9-0. Submitted Paul Craig in his UFC debut. That was not all that long ago in December. He's the minus 135 favorite here, Feliz. So I had minus 200. It's minus 135. He takes on the 16-time UFC veteran, Smiling Sam Alvey, who comes back at plus 115. Feliz, your thoughts on this one? All right, so uh, I wa- watched his fight, Jimmy Crute's fight last night on the Contender Series, and a couple things that I've seen was he's uh, got a really good kicking game, good ki- leg kicks, uh, which Sam Alvey is susceptible to, so so there's that. He's got a good diversity of strikes all around. Uh, on the Contender Series, he showed he's got good spinning kicks, uh, especially to the balls. I've seen that a couple times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, one thing I did notice is he does get hit a bunch, and his face shows it, so uh, there's that to take into consideration. On the other hand, Sam Alvey, though, he, everybody knows he has that one-punch knockout power. Um, he's a veteran, very composed, and he's a hard fighter to look against, look good against. So, uh, And with his great counterpunching, uh, he can, like, steal around with one big punch, even if he's not very active. He did that against Gian Vellante. So my thoughts on this, taking into account that Krupp gets hit and Alvey's good counterpunching, I think this fight's closer to a pick So with that, I'll take the points and I'll take Alvey. Yeah, in our scoring system, two points for a Sam Alvey win. You only get one for Jimmy Crute. Ken Flo, I've liked what I've seen from Jimmy Crute, certainly a developing fighter, a prospect. I think not unlike Johnny Walker, maybe this is a huge reach by me, but he does have sort of an unusual energy uh, to him in this light heavyweight division. Your thoughts on Crute and Alvey this weekend down under? Yeah, agreed. I agree. And I think this is a tough one to call, um, not only because of Crute's propensity for getting hit but also Alvy and and his knockout power this guy gets hit as well and Alvy a lot of times will play possum and he'll back up and he'll you know take shots and it'll look like he's hurt he'll lure you in and then one shot and the fight is over either with either hand so this is a tricky one for me I, I think it will be a firefight as far as power goes 
that's what I'm going to lean to when I see fights that are matched up this way. So, yeah, I, I got to lean uh, towards Albie as well. I, I think he probably gets it done uh, by TKO at some point later in the fight. All right, next up on the main card, women's flyweight division, Montana, De La Rosa, minus 250. Nadia Kasim coming back at plus 200. De La Rosa, pretty good so far, 2-0 in the octagon, back-to-back submission wins. Kasim, also undefeated in the UFC. She's 5-0 overall, getting a home game here, Feliz. What do you think about this one at 125 pounds? Um, well, looking at this one, I uh, watched Montana, Montana last night. Uh, she looks like a good young fighter, one of those ones that you can expect big improvements from every time she fights. Uh, she looks long for the weight class. I noticed that. Um, she has a good jab and is a good counterpuncher, and she looks to be a real problem when she gets on top of you. Uh, with Nadia, I've seen that she's moving up from 115, so she might be a little undersized. I noticed she also gets hit. Uh, I think she's going to have trouble with De La Rosa's long jab and her size. So I could see De La Rosa getting top position, getting a stoppage. But either way, I'm predicting a dominant performance from De La Rosa. I like this Feliz Granados cat, Ken Flo. He's watching film last night. He's got a nice SoCal sound to him. Montana De La Rosa for Feliz Ken Flo. Are you in agreement or no? He, he's facing the champ, champ, John. Come on. He's got to bring actually, it. He's, you're actually he's doing the, his homework. Champ, champ, champ. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> you got, don't sell yourself <laughs> short. You've won I've three re- main event challenges, Ken. Just because I haven't paid off all the bets yet. You've won at three. Le- at least I got a championship in something. All right, well, listen, I, I, I agree. I think Montana De La Rosa is, is probably the favorite here, and uh, I think size uh, length will probably play a factor here in this one. But I think she's just a little bit cleaner with what she does. Um, so no major breakdown for me. I think De La Rosa probably gets it done, uh, maybe with a TKO. All right, couple plays there on the prohibitive favorite, Montana De La Rosa. Next up on the main card here, close fight, at least according to Vegas at Bantamweight. Ricky Simone, slight favorite here, Feliz, minus 130. Ronnie Yaya, the even-money underdog, at least here early during fight week. What do you think about this one? All right, can we first start with uh, Ricky Simone's hair? Like, with a mullet like that, you got to be able to fight. Do you agree? Have to, That yes. thing is... <laughs> I, that, have that seven-month-old, I have a seven-month-old... I got a seven-month-old son... It looks like he's got a mullet coming. I, I'm resisting the urge to fucking shave it off. So, I, <laughs> yes, you better be able to fight. And Ricky Simone can fight. All right. Uh, so what I think about Ricky Simone, uh, very active fighter. That's the first thing that jumps off. He stays busy. It's the biggest takeaway I got from watching him fight. And uh, he has constant pressure and great cardio. Um, Ronnie Yaya, on the other hand, he's a true veteran. I remember him from the WEC. So uh, his strengths are definitely his experience, and he's got some slick submissions. But uh, I'm going to take in this one, I'm going to go with Simone. I'm going to say his wrestling can control the position, keep him from getting submitted, and I think uh, he'll use his pace to, to get a decision over Ronnie Yaya. Ken Flo, so far so good. Ricky Simone in the UFC 2-0. and Interesting prospect that a lot of people think can, can make a run here. He's fought good competition outside the UFC, in the UFC. Wins over Marab Davalashvili and Montel Jackson. 14-1 and overall. Yaya is just criminally underappreciated, right? 36 pro fights, at least relative to his resume, he's underappreciated. 36 pro fights, 15 in the UFC. 11 of those are wins. Three straight wins. Overall, might be four, but the last three wins have come by submission. Probably a guy who deserves some acknowledgement in that Damian Maya-Charles Oliveira conversation. Your thoughts on Yaya here against the oncoming force that is Ricky Simone? Well, listen, uh, Simone, I think he's a good fighter. I think he's pretty solid all the way around. Um, He can get hit as well. Um, I I think it's going to come down to the wrestling, right? Uh, If he could stop Yaya's takedowns and pressure um, I, I think it, it's Simone's fight to lose. I think Simone definitely has a big advantage on the feet, um, just a cleaner striker. Uh, Yaya's going to have to get this, get this to the ground, but I think he does. I think he finds a way to hit that high crotch uh, double leg uh, combo that he uses to get people to the mat, very slick at with his front chokes and his ability to get to the back. I think Yaya finds a way to get it done uh, by submission in this one against Simone. And for our purposes, Ronnie Yaya is an even money underdog. And of course, I'm contractually prevented from from betting on mixed martial arts and I don't make any picks. But Yaya is a, a guy who I would never be looking to go to the window to bet against. Right. Because I just don't want to be in a situation where I have money against that guy and, and he goes submission hunting and, and it's game over. Rip up your ticket. All right. Co-main event features 
the greatest middleweight champion the UFC has ever seen, the former King Anderson Silva. He will be 44 years old in April here. He returns from a two-year layoff. That was a win his last time out against Derek Brunson. He's plus 475 because he is taking on the last style bender, Israel Adesanya, who is minus 650. Feliz, handicap this one for me, man. All right. Let's start off with Anderson Silva. Uh, he is probably my favorite fighter of all time. I, I'm not sure if he's the pound-for-pound greatest ever, but I do believe his prime is the greatest prime of any fighter I've seen. Uh, my biggest fear on watching this fight is I don't want a repeat of, like, BJ Penn versus Jair Rodriguez. But I don't think we're going to see that. Uh, Israel Adesanya, everybody knows he's a dynamic striker, probably the best since Anderson Silver, Silva. He's a precision striker, but doesn't appear to be a big 185-er, so that can work in Anderson's favor. Uh, I'm going to take Adesanya, but I don't think it's going to be a crazy knockout like some predict. Adesanya will win unanimous decision, but Anderson's still a good striker, and I don't think he gets manhandled by anyone on the feet. All right, Ken Flo, we know you were on the Adesanya train well before it stopped at the Octagon. He's 15-0 in MMA, 75 pro kickboxing wins. And in the UFC, I think my biggest takeaway is that he has elevated his game and his performance with the competition. He has fought a better man each and every time out. Um, Brad Tavares and Derek Brunson, the last two, and he has gotten better from Wilkinson to Vittori to Tavares to Brunson. Now he takes on Anderson Silva. He is a minus 650 favorite. What do you think? All those things that you said are extremely accurate, and uh, I will go a step further. After all of that, I think this is probably the most favorable matchup for him out of all of those guys. I, I really believe it. Why? Because when you get another technical striker, a guy who's trying to come forward and be creative, I just don't think he's going to be as creative as Israel Adesanya. Adesanya has faced so many high-level kickboxers uh, and boxers. I, I just think he's seen everything that Anderson's going to throw at him. I think he's been watching Anderson. Right. For a very long time, I think Israel Adesanya, not only does he win, but he wins impressively. We can't forget that Anderson Silva was one of the best strikers, one of the best fighters in UFC history. But, you know, him in his 40s now, uh, not being able to rely on his speed like he did when he was younger, I, I just don't see it going well. I don't see this as a pretty performance uh, for him. I think it's going to be a dominant three-round, uh, I see a three-round uh, knockout for Israel Adesanya. Third round TKO for Israel Adesanya. The pick to click, kick, click for Kenful. I got to say, too, right, this main event, Whitaker and Gastelum, it's about as good as it gets for me on paper, and yet this feels like the Israel Adesanya show. I mean, this yeah. dude is all the rage. He's all anyone is talking about. But let us get to the main event after 14 UFC appearances. Got to feel good for this guy. We'll see what he can do with it. But Kelvin Gastelum has arrived at his first UFC championship fight. He is the plus 200 underdog here, not surprisingly. He takes on Sydney's best fighter, UFC middleweight champ Robert Whitaker. Whitaker defended the title once successfully against Yoel Romero. That was UFC 225 back in June. So those two, Romero and Whitaker, went 50 minutes over the last two years. Some have suggested those wars could soon, if not immediately, take their toll on the still just 28-year-old Robert Whitaker. He is the minus 250 favorite here Saturday night. Feliz, this is the main event. It's a title fight. We will need the round and the method of victory. Who leaves Melbourne, the UFC middleweight champion of the world? All right, let's go. I'll, I'll say first, this is a great fight. Um, but we'll start with Calvin. I think Calvin has a clean boxing. I think it's clean and precise. I think it's underrated, and people don't appreciate it. They look at him as a wrestler sometimes still, but his boxing has been good. Uh, his hands are extremely fast for the weight class. He fights behind that jab. And the left hand is lightning quick. Uh, as Kenny would say, he has a good beard. You don't see him hurt very often. And then the guy shines when the lights are on. He doesn't seem to feel the pressure. Uh, Robert Whitaker, on the other hand, he also has good boxing. He's just an all-around good fighter. And that guy has a ton of heart. He's had to show it in his Romero fights. Uh, and then on the other, also, both these fighters are examples of guys not cutting weight and just excelling. Uh, this is a real tough pick, but I think Whitaker can get tagged and hurt. We've seen it in the Romero fights. I think with Gastelum's fast hands, he's going to stun Whitaker. The difference is I think Gastelum has the, not, the knockout power, the finishing ability, gas tank, and aggressiveness to put Whitaker away. I'm tempted to say first-round knockout for Gastelum, 
but I'll make it the second round TKO, Calvin Gastelum. Wow, Feliz, Gastelum round two TKO. And I will tell you, Feliz, Ray Longo picked Gastelum as well earlier on. I guarantee you Gastelum wins. He's crying in that octagon. This would be such a great <laughs> moment for him as an individual. I think it would be uh, tears of joy for him. Feliz, great job, my man. Thank you for uh, putting in the time and for listening. And uh, we'll certainly get you back on before the year is out, my man. Thank you. All right, great. Thanks, guys, for having me. Good job, man. All right, Ken Flo. So Robert Whitaker broke through and first became the middleweight champion. It was July of 2017, courtesy of one of those wins over Yoel Romero, that one by unanimous decision. Two fight of the nights between these two guys. Now Bobby Knuckles has had what amounts to seven full months off since the last one. But I think for all of us, the takeaway, especially after watching that UFC 213 fight, was like, Jesus, man, like what price have you paid uh, your thoughts on on that storyline, that narrative in terms of, of how Whitaker responds out the backside of those two fights and ultimately who you see get in their hand raised here Saturday night? Well, you make a great point, right? I mean, he had two five-round wars against Yoel Romero. Um, you know, what did that take out of him? Now, he's still very young. I think that he will be just fine here in this fight against Kelvin Gastelum, but Listen, what, what Felice said, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Gastelum gets a stoppage win early in this fight. I, I think Gastelum is that good. I have a lot of respect for him. I, just when I look at the fight, I say, listen, he has spent, you know, 50, 50 minutes in his last two fights against a very powerful Olympic-level wrestler in Yo Romero, a guy that not only can wrestle, but... He's a very powerful striker as well. He's knocked out a lot of guys in the UFC in, in dramatic fashion. And I think that experience just goes a very far way with me uh, as far as the young Robert Whitaker. I, I think Whitaker, with his karate style, he's very good at finding his angles and blitzing at the right times. If we're not going to see panic out of him against Romero, he's just not going to yeah. panic, period, against anybody. Um, and... Uh, at an early age and the fact that he's probably really only getting better and getting more confident with each title defense I, I think it's going to be hard to beat a guy in Robert Whitaker I, I think Whitaker gets it done I don't think it's going to be a, a blowout by any means I think it will be a close fight a lot of respect for Gastelum I, I think Whitaker gets it done by decision here it's interesting when you talk about Whitaker and, and having the Romero fights now in the rearview mirror because I do think part of Whitaker is like, thank fucking God the soldier of God is not beating <laughs> yeah. me in Melbourne this weekend, you know? Right. Because it's just no matter what he hit him with, Yoel just kept on coming and, and obviously rallied at times in those fights. But this is just a great fight, man. I know people have been banging on maybe the depth of this card top to bottom, but I will tell you, if you dive into it, uh, it's deeper than you think. But this main event is just outstanding, and I, and I can't wait to see. It's always amazing to see a guy have that first UFC title fight and see what they can do with it. You'd never know if the opportunity is going to come around again. So for Kelvin Gaslam, we have literally called and seen his entire career dating to 2013 when he beat Uriah Hall. And I think it would be a special moment if he can break through, but Whitaker's an absolute beast, and uh, he is the favorite, deserves that distinction. All right, we got to get out of here. I'm headed to Melbourne, Australia for UFC 234 on Wednesday, so we will be back either late Monday night or early Tuesday with episode number 190. Thanks to Bill Belichick. Thanks to the Patriots defense, every last one of you. Thank you to the Super Bowl most valuable player, Julian Edelman. And let's see them shame your Hall of Fame candidacy now, Julian, that you got that Super Bowl most valuable player trophy at home. Uh, thank you to Ray Longo, Feliz. This has been a TJ DeSantis production, as he will tell you in about 10 seconds. If you've got issues with the show, let TJ know. Ken Flo, enjoy the parade tomorrow. All I ask, I want an Instagram story at Kenny Florian of your daughter, Truy, watching the parade. Is that too much to ask? Done. Done and right. done, kid. Hey, get some sleep. I'm going to go to bed for Kenny Florian. I'm John Anik. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for the support. All the loving you hot. We'll see you in less than seven days. Until then, you'll live. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only. Sports.
sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Barton, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.